The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. COVID versus infrastructure. Investors caught in a push and pull with stocks sitting at all-time record highs. When it comes to Delta, three major U.S. airlines this morning say they will not mandate COVID-19 vaccines for their employees, breaking with a wave of mandates to the contrary. The end of a legacy. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo says he will resign his post amid allegations of sexual harassment and misconduct, but his legal troubles may not be over just yet. Bearish on China, Kathy Wood doubling down on her call to dump Chinese big tech stocks as the Beijing crackdown continues. And crypto back on the rise again after one major exchange says its profits are up nearly 5,000% from the same time last year. It is Wednesday, August 11th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. I am Dominic Chewin for Brian Sullivan today, kicking off your Wednesday morning with U.S. stock futures hovering slightly, slightly to the downside here. You can see right now the S&P 500 and Dow are implied roughly lower by five points apiece. So roughly flat, especially for the Dow and the Nasdaq implied lower by about 40 points. Now, the Dow and the S&P, by the way, are coming off fresh record highs, their 40th and 56th of the year, respectively speaking. Not so, however, the transports and small caps. Despite closing higher yesterday, the Dow Transportation Index is more than 9% below its most recent 52-week high, and the Russell 2000 Small Cap Index is more than 5% from its most recent 52-week high. It's certainly something to watch there, possible leading indicators for other parts of the market. Another sector of note here, infrastructure, coming off some big moves yesterday, as you can see, after the Senate approved the bipartisan $1 trillion measure. Names like CSW Industries, U.S. Steel, Top Build, Newcore Steel, all up very big this week. And exchange-traded funds, by the way, tracking the sector are on the move as well. You can see there the GlobalX Infrastructure ETF and the iShares U.S. Infrastructure ETF are up higher on the just about the year to date here. And crypto, by the way, also coming off a big day and looking stronger still in the wee hours of this Wednesday morning. Currently, Bitcoin prices just a hair above $46,000. That's up about 1.5%. Meanwhile, Ripple up 7%. Ethereum and Litecoin both up about 2 to 4%. To the early trade in Europe now, our own Juliana Tattlebaum is standing by in London with the latest here. Good morning, Juliana. 
Dom, good morning to you. Well, we're off to a positive start here in Europe with uh, European equities extending gains. Yesterday, the stock 600, the main benchmark, rallied about 0.35%, which doesn't sound like much, but it was the seventh positive session in a row. So the march higher continues. Green across the board here, fairly broad-based across the different regions. From a sector perspective, here's the picture in Europe fairly split. We are seeing some outperformance in insurance, media, construction, and banks, each up about a third of a percent. On the downside, travel and leisure is the key underperformer. The sector is pulling back about 0.9 percent. Worth noting, though, yesterday travel and leisure outperformed. We got some news that the European Union would not reinstate travel restrictions on non-essential travel from the United States. That was being reported as a possibility, so the sector got a boost on the back of that news. Now, we are uh, looking at a few names at this morning in particular, starting with um, one in the cybersecurity world. American cybersecurity group Norton LifeLock is acquiring its European rival. FTSE 100 listed Avast in a deal worth up to $8.6 billion. Shares in Avast are about 2.7% higher this morning. In contrast, German steelmaker ThyssenKrupp is seeing some significant selling this morning, down 6.9%. The company swung back to black in the third quarter, driven by high materials prices and strong auto demand, but the stock is under pressure as the conglomerate warned on free cash flow for the full year. The company, just to remind you, in the midst of a long-running restructuring program aimed at streamlining its business. And finally, Stop and Shop owner Ajo Del Hayes has raised its full-year outlook as the Dutch retailer topped second-quarter operating income forecasts. The group also said it expects to grow its full-year dividend on an annual basis. And Ajo Del Hayes shares 1.8% higher this morning. Dom, back over to you. Juliana Tattlebaum, live in London. Thank you very much for that. Back here on the home front, on the heels of the bipartisan approval of the $1.2 trillion infrastructure package, which now heads for an uncertain future in the House of Representatives, the Senate in a votorama session this morning taking its first steps towards passing a $3.5 trillion Democrat-led spending plan that addresses things like climate change, paid leave, child care, education, and more. NBC's Tracy Potts joins us now from Washington with the latest there. Good morning, Tracy. Hi, Dom. Good morning. Yeah, two different things, but they're related, and lawmakers were up until about an hour ago, up 14 hours overnight working on this. This is not a done deal, but it's a first step and an important one in the Senate to deal with these Democratic priorities. So now everything heads to committees while they try to write up what three and a half trillion dollars of social spending will look like. Mr. President, thank you. My colleagues, let's cooperate and finish this up. Overnight, lawmakers voted on more than three dozen changes, then approved a framework for Democrats' so-called human infrastructure plan. It's a first step to create free community college and universal preschool, expand Medicare, and address other social priorities. Republicans argue it's a $3.5 trillion spending spree that'll lead to higher gas prices. This is the worst thought-out idea I've ever seen. It's a nightmare for working people. This seems almost certain to be the largest peacetime tax hike on record. The all-night voterama comes after 50 Democrats and 19 Republicans approved a trillion-dollar traditional infrastructure bill. It's an investment in fixing up our roads, our bridges, our water systems, our railroads, our ports, our electrical grids, our broadband network, and expanding that. This bill is going to put people to work modernizing our roads and our highways and our bridges. Thank heavens it, it still is. But it's not the end of the story. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says the House will not consider the infrastructure bill 
unless the larger measure comes with it. The House is now coming back early on August 23rd. And then today, President Biden is sitting down with governors, with mayors, other local leaders. They'll take a bit of a, a victory lap on that bipartisan infrastructure bill, the traditional one on roads and bridges. And then the president plans to make some remarks today, Dom, about how all of this fits into his Build Back Better agenda. So, so let's talk about that Build Back Better agenda. What else is on there besides just the infrastructure package and some of the big social plans from this budget reconciliation? Yeah, that's going to be a large part of it. And so it's likely that the president's going to talk about, you know, where we've been and where we're going uh, and make a big push uh, for this three and a half trillion dollar so-called reconciliation bill. But it's not expected to get one single Republican vote. They just don't agree with this, the cost of it uh, and some of the things that are in it. Also, um, expect the Senate and then the House when they get back now at the end of the month to take up voting rights. That's coming back up. They want to try to get that passed as well. All right, it's a live look at the Senate floor right now, still doing some negotiating and speaking out there. Tracy Potts live in D.C. with the latest there. Thank you very much. To some of this morning's other top stories as well, the CEOs of Southwest Airlines, American and Delta say they are not, not requiring unvaccinated employees to get a COVID-19 shot. The policy is breaking with United Airlines mandate that workers get vaccinated by October 25th or risk getting fired. In an internal memo seen by CNN, Southwest CEO Gary Kelly says the airline will, quote, strongly encourage that workers get vaccinated, but the airline's stance on a mandate has not shifted. More than $600 million has been stolen in what's likely to be one of the largest crypto thefts ever. DeFi platform Poly Network says hackers exploited a vulnerability and is now asking those responsible to return any and all stolen assets. Poly Network is urging cryptocurrency exchanges to blacklist tokens coming from the addresses that are linked to those hackers. And after dumping the majority of her holdings in Chinese technology stocks, ARK Invest Kathy Wood says valuations in that sector are likely to remain depressed for a while. Quote, the multiple structure, the valuation structure of those companies is down and probably not going to come back very quickly, may even go down more. Wood does say, however, that she is keeping a, quote, open mind to those Chinese tech stocks. Back to the markets now. Inflation data is expected to be a big focus for investors and traders today with the July Consumer Price Index, CPI, out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Consumer prices are expected to ease on a year-over-year basis to 5.3% in July from 5.4% in the month of June, with the core rate, which strips out the effects of food and energy prices, seen at a gain of 4.4% versus 4.5% in June. Now, a big jump in inflation on top of last week's better than expected jobs report could potentially impact the Fed's timing of when to announce or begin tapering its big asset purchases. Now, let's talk more about this with Phil Palumbo, founder of Palumbo Wealth Management. And Phil, I mean, inflation has been the talk of Wall Street for months now. Is this CPI figure going to do a lot to change minds on either side of the quote unquote transitory argument? I don't think one print is going to make a difference. You know, we've been in the in the in the camp that we believe inflation is here to stay. It's not so much going to be transitory. I mean, parts of it will be transitory, uh, but others will not be. And, and we're in that camp. We don't think one data point is going to make a difference. You know, with this new infrastructure plan uh, bill that looks like it's going to go through, 
We've talked about that as the next leg up with inflation. If you look at commodities and how they moved yesterday, materials, uh, all of this stuff we believe is going to continue to be inflationary and really bode well for, for the commodity market. So, so if that's the case, if the infrastructure bill is one of those kind of proximate causes of the next leg higher in inflation, which parts of the market are going to be the most impacted in terms of the overall investment landscape? Do we care so much about things like lumber and copper prices that we made such a big deal about over the last couple of months? They seem to have settled down a little bit now. Is it food costs? Is it my fuel costs? I just filled up this morning. What exactly is going to be the main focus commodity wise for Wall Street? I think it's all of the above. Uh, as investors, you know, we believe in a balanced structure. We do have exposure to commodities within our portfolios, which is roughly seven and a half percent. It has grown out to about eight and a half to nine percent within our portfolios. So we use commodities to balance our portfolios. Commodities historically, when inflation rises, commodities do well. So, so if if inflation is going to be the, the thought going forward, then then you want to be in areas like that. When inflation rises, typically yields will rise. When yields rise, uh, financials You'll see energy and materials, industrials all do well. Uh, dividend paying, quality type investment stocks, you know, those are areas of the markets that will perform well. The 10-year Treasury yield is the number one thing in our view to look at to really get a sense of where markets are going forward, right? So if you look at the past couple of weeks, you know, the yield double bottomed and all of a sudden started to move up higher. So when yields moved up higher, what did really well? Oil moved, cyclical stocks moved, value stocks moved, and growth didn't perform as well. So if inflation is going to rise, those are the areas that you want to be investing. How good, Phil, is the 10-year Treasury note yield at being that indicator for a a macro or overall sense of the market? I I mention this only because the chart that we just showed shows a pretty decent-sized medium-term downtrend in yields, which signals to a lot of people that inflationary fears are perhaps unjustified. Why would you want to see, why, how could yields be so low at 1.1, 1. 1.2, 1.3% if people feel as though inflation and growth is really going to take off? Meanwhile, you've gone up about 25 basis points in a couple of weeks here. What exactly is the bond market telling you? Mm-hmm. So, Dom, you have to understand. So, you know, March 30th was, March 30th was the peak in, in yield, right? It peaked at about 1.74%. And since then, it's gone down. The reason why it's gone down since then is we saw Delta variant peaked its head in Israel. They talked about lockdowns, the breakthroughs on the vaccines with Pfizer. So bond market said, hey, you know, the economic growth recovery story may be slowing here. And, and in fact, you saw Delta variant come here and, and cause consumers to hold back. And yields have gone down ever since then. Now, investors are looking at and saying, you think about Dr. Scott Gottlieb on your show just a couple of days ago talking about this could be the final act for COVID uh, for 2021. So if investors look past the Delta variant and saying to themselves, hey, we could be close to peak with Delta variant, you know, and that could be a reason why the bond market is starting to move higher in the very short term. And in the intermediate term, I agree with you. Sure. The trend is down, but overall, you know, we believe the, the yield goes higher here, which would bode well for a lot of those stocks in cyclical areas of the market that I just talked about. All right. Phil Palumbo, Palumbo Wealth, thank you very much. We appreciate it, Thanks sir. Stop. When we come back on the show, this morning's big money movers, including another casualty of Apple's updated iOS tracking policies, plus a very busy morning for crypto as a Coinbase reports shocking, shocking income growth for its most recent quarter. That stock popping by about 3% in the pre-market right now. And then later on, you've heard of buyer bidding wars. Now renters are getting in on that bidding up game as well. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. 
What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Time now for your big money movers, three stock stories of the morning. First up, you've got Poshmark, the secondhand online retailer reporting a smaller than expected second quarter loss as revenues rose 22 percent, beating analyst forecasts. But the company is forecasting third quarter sales below estimates and warns its marketing efforts are taking a hit from Apple's new privacy controls over digital ad tracking. Those shares off 7 percent free market. AT&T is in talks to sell Warner Media's celebrity gossip site TMZ to Fox. That's according to Deadline and the information. The deal would come as AT&T is preparing to spin off Warner and merge it with Discovery. TMZ's syndicated TV show airs on Fox stations. Fox, AT&T and Warner Brothers have not commented on that deal. And Fubo TV is rallying today. The sports-focused streaming service reporting better-than-expected second-quarter results, and it expects full-year revenues to more than double. Fubo says it's still on track to launch a sportsbook offering by the end of the year, though shares up 11.5% in the pre-market trade. Still on deck for the show, the results are in for Investopedia's latest reader survey. The top stocks and top risks, according to that survey, when you see Worldwide Exchange returning after this break. Today's big number, $1 trillion. That's the estimated cost of global cybercrime, according to a report from J.P. Morgan, up more than 50% over the past two years. That's roughly the equivalent of 1% of global GDP per year. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, No one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Despite the rising risks around the Delta variant, surging inflation, and a Federal Reserve about to ease its foot off the accommodation pedal, stocks continue to trade at or near record highs. But is all of that about to change? 
Investopedia has been surveying its readers since before the pandemic on sentiment, hopes, and greatest fears, some of which may come as a surprise to you. Investopedia's editor-in-chief, Caleb Silver, is back with us to share the latest results from the most recent survey. Caleb, good morning to you. What exactly can we say with markets at record highs? Is there still optimism that the bull run continues? Good morning, Dom. So good to be with you and call it a case of high anxiety, call it a case of too much of a good thing. But investors are starting to tap the brakes a little bit, take their foot off the accelerator. We've been surveying our readers since before the pandemic began, as you know, and I've been able to share those results with you. But only about 19 percent, according to our recent survey, intend to put more money in the markets. About 54 percent say they're just going to sit right here and let it ride. Sixty percent say the market's overvalued. And a lot of them, Dom, are pouring into index funds are getting out of some risky options bets. They're definitely getting out of crypto, according to our survey. And they're kind of taking it real nice and slow here because they're worried that the market gains that we've seen so far may be petering out so far. The optimism for future gains has really dialed back in in recent months. Have Investors have looked at what's going on in terms of the COVID spread, in terms of what's going on with markets at record highs. They're worried about a bunch of things, including inflation and spending. And we're going to get a lot more of it, Dom. So, so Caleb, can you put those can you put those results for, for for the latest survey in context for us over the course of the last year? How exactly has that sentiment changed or shifted? Is this a real big move in terms of sentiment lower versus what we've seen over the course of the last twelve months? Yeah, it's definitely a pullback in sentiment where they're kind of waiting to see what happens here. The expectations for future gains have been reined back in. We only have about uh, about 20 percent of our readers, 25 percent of our readers who think the market's going to go up anywhere from zero to 10 percent for the rest of the year. We're already up 18 percent. So the gains have been robust. Most think the market's going to kind of stay where it is or trade a little bit lower as we go into the next five, six months of trading here in the, in the stock market. So you have that little pullback. It's not extreme, but you feel that in the sentiment and you feel that in in terms of what they're buying and what they're selling and what they want to hold on to. As I mentioned, they're pouring into index funds now. They're going to let it ride here instead of stock picking as much as they used to do, and certainly instead of crypto and some of the option bets. So you see that risky behavior being dialed back in. These are individual investors. These are folks who have been in the market a long time. They know what they're doing. They're Investopedia readers of our daily newsletters. So they're kind of getting a little bit more, uh, a little bit reticent to put more money into the markets. It's not extreme, but it's that first tipping sure. point. And you're starting to see it in other sentiment surveys as well. Caleb, any any indication on, on exactly which parts of the market? I mean, you mentioned the crypto side of things. You mentioned options. You mentioned the, 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 the tilt towards maybe using index funds and, and that sort of thing. Are there specific parts of the market, equity, bond, crypto or otherwise, that, that appear to be, to your readers, more bubblicious perhaps than other parts of the market? Yeah, this surprised us a lot. We asked them every survey, what part of the market do you think is in a bubble right now? And what we thought might be Bitcoin, what we thought might be Doge, what we thought might be some areas of the stock market, it's actually U.S. housing market, Don. What U.S. housing prices are up 13% year over year. We've seen the, the blistering rise in sales going on across the country. So they think the U.S. housing market's in the biggest bubble. Following that, they do feel like crypto, Bitcoin, and Doge, uh, Dogecoin are still in a bubble. They thought that a couple of months ago. They still feel that today. But stocks, only uh, that ranked third in terms of their list of things they thought were in a bubble. So it's not as if 
that they think the stock market itself is in a massive bubble. 60% I always say we're a little overvalued here. That's kind of consistent through our surveys, but it's the housing market that's got their attention right now. And for good reason, a lot of these folks own homes or they're thinking about buying homes, but it's the housing market where 38% of our respondents say it's getting a little bit bubbly out there and that could be trouble going forward. All right. Caleb Silver with the rest of the uh, survey there. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Real estate, certainly a key takeaway from that particular study. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Al. Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines as well. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest there. Good morning, Philip. Hi, Dom. Good morning. A New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is resigning in the wake of his harassment scandal. The move comes after months of allegations and an investigation that alleged he sexually harassed 11 women, including nine state employees. Cuomo disputed some of the allegations, saying his behavior was taken out of context while acknowledging he has been, quote, too familiar with people and that his sense of humor can be insensitive and off-putting. After a 14-day transition period, Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul will become the first female governor of New York. There's an extreme weather threat brewing in the tropics. Fred grew into a tropical storm overnight, becoming the sixth named storm of the season as it threatens Puerto Rico. The storm could hit Florida in the coming days. And finally, PepsiCo is jumping into the alcohol industry. They're partnering with Sam Adams Brewery and adding a little buzz to their iconic Mountain Dew brand. Hard Mountain Dew will have no caffeine, but it will have 5% alcohol by volume. Several flavors are expected to hit store shelves early next year. And Dama, if the packaging is any indication, looks pretty hardcore. It is, and certainly on brand for Mountain Dew and the kind of aggressive sports type I guess offering it's been put in the past there. Philip Mena, thank you yeah. very much for hard Mountain Dew and everything else. Straight ahead on the show, antitrust watchdogs sharpen their teeth as they go after Uber. We've got the full story on that coming up straight ahead. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan this morning. Here is how stock futures are looking as we are halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern Time hour. You can see here we are poised for just about a flat open. The S&P implied lower by just about six points. The Dow implied higher by just one point and the Nasdaq lower by roughly 51. We continue to monitor the Senate floor where lawmakers there just took the first step towards passing a three point five trillion dollar spending plan along party lines. What you're seeing right now is a live look on the Senate floor of Texas Senator Ted Cruz. Now, the measure directs committees to craft a bill that would spend trillions on things like climate initiatives, paid uh, family leave, child care, education, health care costs. It comes just one day after a rare show of bipartisanship in the passage of a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill, which now heads to the House of Representatives. We will continue to monitor the votes and debate and bring you the latest as it develops. But again, Texas Republican Senator Ted Cruz now on the floor making his case for why they should not go forward with this particular budget plan. Turning now to the world of cryptocurrency, shares of Coinbase are higher following its first quarterly report as a publicly traded company. Revenues coming in at more than $2 billion, easily topping analyst expectations thanks to a surge in user growth and trading volumes despite the recent volatile stretch for digital currencies to the downside. Net profits for the quarter was $1.6 billion. That's up nearly, get this, 4,900% from a year earlier. 
For more on Coinbase's result and cryptocurrency as a whole, let's bring in Sarah Kunst, managing director of Clio Capital, a disruptor in terms of the overall crypto space. Clio Capital, Sarah, is a specialist in disruptive type companies. Take us through what your initial impressions were of Coinbase's report. I mean, it was good, right? And and I think we're going to see that priced into the markets today. Um, you know, even with the impact of of the one time kind of tax credit that they had, which definitely helped from the direct listing. You know, which did help. Uh, you know, some of that income, the 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 trading volume, it's just way way up, and not just in retail, right? These aren't just people on Reddit who are buying more. It's it's institutional investors too, and that's a huge question that Coinbase had in front of it. And the answer is pretty definitively that institutional investors are using Coinbase to move a lot of crypto and not just Bitcoin. Um, increasingly, you know, about 50% of their volume is is not even Bitcoin or Ethereum. It's all the other altcoins. So there's a lot of interest here. So so th- let's go towards that point, because because it is Bitcoin and Ethereum that are that are far and away the biggest in terms of overall market cap and cryptocurrency. But, you know, when I look on Coinbase's platform, I see, you know, a a couple dozen other things that I've never even really heard or know that much about. I wonder how much of that is going to be the growth engine for Coinbase in the coming months and years. It's not just Bitcoin and Ethereum. How much more do these coins and tokens play into the overall growth story for Coinbase? You know, historically, we've always seen that Bitcoin is what moves the market, right? Where goes Bitcoin goes altcoins tends to be what happens. And so, you know, I would I would shy away from the idea that Bitcoin and Ethereum aren't going to matter. Um, But I mean, we saw this with Doge a while back. We've seen this, you know, with other altcoins over the years um, where, you know, some of them keep in mind are are, are stable coins. They're not really designed to have the kind of, you know, crazy volatility that, that we sort of associate sometimes with crypto. But, you know, a lot there will always be a new coin that someone, um, you know, wants to buy and that someone wants to sell. And the thing about Coinbase is as long as there is volatility, as long as people are buying and selling, you know, they make money. And, and so, you know, you can't forget that, that, that even when things are going down, um, if they're going down and you're selling, then Coinbase is making money on that, too. They're the toll road for sure, just like every other online broker out there. Now, now, Sarah, if you take a look at Coinbase as a company right now, it's an exchange. They do have bigger aspirations, as many companies do, many CEOs do. What exactly would Coinbase look like in your mind in the next year, two, three years? Look, I think Coinbase is a neobank. I think that Coinbase, I think Robinhood, I think that, you know, everyone is running around trying to get people to sign up for their neobanks for, you know, a tiny bit of of interest here or, hey, we have a cool app there. But the reality is that, you know, a lot of these big companies, including Coinbase, are making really serious moves to be your day-to-day bank. If you're a Gen Z, if you're a millennial, um, you know, you don't necessarily need to walk into a brick-and-mortar bank anymore. The same place where you're, you know, buying and selling crypto and buying and selling stock is increasingly, you know, where you're going to earn interest, where you're going to get debit cards, credit cards. And, and as that happens, I think that we will see these products are much stickier than just who wants to wake up this morning and buy and sell crypto. All right. Sarah Kunst at Clio Capital. Thank you very much for your thoughts on Coinbase. We appreciate it. Thank you. Coming up on Squawk Box, by the way, an exclusive conversation with Coinbase's chief financial officer on the company's results. Those results and that interview 8:40 a.m. eastern time right here on cnbc a must-watch interview there 
Now for some of your morning's top stories. The FTC is reportedly scrutinizing a partnership between Uber and the online delivery service GoPuff over possible anti-competitive behavior. That's according to a report from The Information, which says the agency is also looking at Uber's proposed $1.1 billion bid to buy alcohol delivery service Drizzly. The report says while the investigations are separate, they are focused on the underlying issues of whether the deals with Uber Eats business would harm competition in the online sale and delivery of things like alcohol and convenience store items. Uber shares off about one quarter of one percent in the pre-market trade. Hong Kong exchanges and clearing reported record earnings for the first half of the year while profits missed estimates. It marked the fourth straight record for first half profits for the operator of Asia's largest stock market by market cap. Results were boosted in part by a string of IPOs by large Chinese companies. Speaking with CNBC earlier today, the exchange's CEO discussed whether China's regulatory crackdowns are impacting the public offering pipeline. In the short term, obviously, this, this, this movement will cause some uh, potential issues to be a little bit more careful and try to see when it's the right time to go to the market. So when you have volatility, it's usually a little less likely that people will want to rush into the market. But over the long term, right now we're looking at the pipeline. There's over 200 companies that are actually with their filings in the docket. All right. And employees from the New York Times Technology Unit are planning to walk off the job today. The workers are planning the half day protest over what they see as the Times attempts to hinder their unionization efforts. That's according to a report from Bloomberg. The plan came about Monday after employees found out about the Times management's apparent attempt to exclude staff such as data analysts and designers from a unionization vote. The Times has denied those accusations. Well, as the U.S. averages more than 100,000 new COVID cases per day, some hospitals are getting overwhelmed, particularly in states with low vaccination rates like Texas and Florida. The federal government has actually sent 300 ventilators and other breathing devices to the state of Florida as it combats a surge in cases there. Meanwhile, schools in that state's Broward County have voted to maintain their mask mandate. This despite the executive order from Governor Ron DeSantis to leave masking up to parents themselves. Joining us now is Dr. Kavita Patel, physician and non-resident fellow at the Brookings Institution. Doctor, thank you very much for being here this morning. How concerning is the surge in the Delta variant of COVID? Yeah, good morning, Dom. It's incredibly concerning and largely because, to be candid, it could have been preventable. We know that vaccinations really do help to not necessarily eliminate the spread of COVID, but dramatically reduce the spread and, of course, the impact on hospitalizations and deaths. So so what exactly then does that speak to in terms of the messaging around the vaccination process? Why aren't more people coming around to this notion if we are seeing hospitals overwhelmed, if we are seeing this surge in cases, tens to 100,000 cases per day now at, the, at, the, at this rate, why, why are people not convinced? Yeah, um, this to me is still something that should and does keep me up all night because when I talk to people, even despite images of babies not having a ventilator and having to be flown out of state, et cetera, what I commonly hear back from patients is, well, that's not very, you know, that's rare. That's not what normally happens. What normally happens is that it's mild and that you don't really get that sick. And it's really just a rare instance 
compared to, uh, candidly, Dom, the misinformation and the lies that the vaccine is actually causing uh, worse death or worse disease. And I'm, I'm pretty stunned when I hear this and I try to unpack some of it. But that's been a predominant theme for people who still today are not willing to get vaccinated. So, so doctor, I mean, you're a medical doctor. I've had a number of conversations with lay people like myself about this notion that they're like, you know what, you know what's happening in Israel and in the UK? They saw the surge and it plateaued off and now it's on the decline. Is there a case to be made that this Delta surge is one that is now on the downswing and that we don't have to worry as much about what's happening given the vaccination efforts as they stand right now? Yeah, it's you're the people you're talking to are exactly the people I'm talking to. And by the way, it's not just lay people. A lot of doctors and public health people are wondering the same thing because they're seeing what you're seeing in the UK, the Netherlands, other places like that, Israel, et cetera. So number one, we actually do know that a lot of the declines in the UK, for example, and in Israel are largely because of not just increased vaccinations, because that doesn't happen right away, as you know, but really because of a combination of these prevention measures. So it's not just masking. Remember, Israel went back to masking pretty early, dumb, even kind of on the upswing of their Delta outbreak. Number two, we also know that travel was pretty restricted. I'm not talking international travel, but they didn't have the school season that we're facing now and some of the other dynamics. Number three, we have seen this becoming a social network phenomenon in terms of people who are not that vaccinated. And if they get a large degree of infection, then obviously that causes their social networks to take awareness and to potentially get vaccinated. What's different about the United States, not only are we bigger, but there's a lot of regional variability. Even in Texas and Florida, you've got some parts of Texas where there's higher vaccination rates, so the transmission isn't necessarily as high. So I do think that it's multifactorial, but here's the good news, if I can put good news on it. We're doing almost 725,000 to a million shots a day that will make a difference in the next two to four weeks. And I do think we will also see declines with it. We can't stop on that trend, though. And we have to continue to vaccinate as many people as possible here and in the world to return us back to that cusp of normalcy that we did feel in June. I know we all felt it and it's still possible. Sure. Now, of course, all of that's coming as the school season looms for parents like me. It's a big concern as well. Dr. Kavita Patel, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Please come back and update us on your findings as well. Coming up on the show, the red-hot housing market spilling over into the rental side of things. Maybe no surprise there. Diana Olick has what's brewing in terms of bidding wars taking shape with renters. But first, as we head out to break, some of your other top stories. Amazon has been awarded a $10 billion cloud computing contract by the National Security Agency, the NSA. That's according to reports. The contract, which is already being challenged by Microsoft, is a part of the agency's efforts to modernize its repository for classified data. China has sentenced Canadian businessman Michael Spavor to 11 years in prison after finding him guilty of espionage. Spavor's detention is widely viewed as a retaliatory move by the Chinese government for Canada's detention of Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou. And music legend Stevie Nicks is canceling the remainder of her live performances for the year. Nicks cites ongoing concerns surrounding the COVID Delta variant for the move. Watch those particular moves there on the concert front. Worldwide Exchange is back in just a moment.
Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We know competition to buy homes is very high right now, but the stakes are rising for renting as well. And so are the rents themselves. Diana Olick joins us now with more on that story. Diana, it was inevitable, right? If housing prices go higher, rental prices have to go higher in response. As absolutely dumb. Demand for rentals is now off the charts, both apartments and single family homes. That has landlords seeing bidding wars and dollar signs normally reserved for home buyers. We've been leasing property for almost 20 years, and we haven't seen an applicant pool this competitive since we've started. Vipin Mantwani put this Clinton, Maryland townhouse on the rental market just a few weeks ago and had 20 showings and 10 offers. Potential tenants are offering several hundred dollars a month over asking price and landlords are following suit. In July, rents nationally rose 7 percent year over year for one bedroom apartments and 8.7 percent for two bedroom apartments. That's up from five and six and a half percent annual gains in June. That's all according to Zumper. Now for single family rentals, the latest read from CoreLogic in May shows rents up 6.6% year over year. That's nearly four times the annual increase in May of 2020. Not only is the rent rising, but so too is the profile of today's renter. The rental applications that we're getting right now, you're seeing higher credit scores. You're seeing applicants willing willing to put down more in terms of security deposit. Um, You're seeing strong rental history as well. Um, that wasn't necessarily the case uh, pre-COVID. He's seeing a lot of renters who were trying to buy homes but were priced out and decided to rent instead, with home prices still skyrocketing and the supply of homes for sale improving only very slightly. There's unlikely to be any relief for renters anytime soon, Dom. So this is this is a uh, fascinating to me because, you know, I, I, I'm a landlord myself. And so I kind of follow these dynamics. How exactly, though, is the eviction crisis that we're talking about right now playing into rents and competition for homes and apartments? We've heard a lot of stories about landlords not liking the fact that these eviction moratoriums are still in place. They are trying to take advantage of some of these rent markets, if you will. What exactly is the dynamic there? Well, it's really supply and demand. If you have renters who aren't paying the rent and you can't turn over that property, that's taking out of that supply that you need for all those renters coming in who do have the cash to pay. And you have also demographics coming in, millennials and other people who are moving out of their parents' homes. The job market is getting better again, so they want places to live. So there's so much demand out there and so little supply. And of those renters who aren't able to be evicted right now, those landlords can't turn over those properties to new renters. They have less supply, more demand, just means higher prices. Of course, it's, it's just a, it's a very tough spot for a lot of renters out there for sure. Diana Olick with the latest there on the Red Hot Rental Market. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. On deck for the show, John Ajarian lays out where he's seeing action within the markets, including some alternative energy plays, possibly seeing some love from that big infrastructure bill. And be sure to tune into the premiere of our new series on CNBC, Money Court, as Mr. Wonderful Kevin O'Leary presides over financial disputes with high stakes, real money, and Kevin's ruling being the final word. It premieres tonight, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, only on CNBC, Money Court. Worldwide Exchange will be back after this. 
Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange and turning back to the markets right now. Futures indicating a very stable open. The Dow is implied higher by just about 10 points. We'll call it pretty much flat at this stage here. The S&P lower by about five points and the Nasdaq underperforming implied lower by 50. Now, this is all after the Dow and the S&P hit new record highs on the backs of that Senate approval of the one trillion dollar infrastructure bill. That legislation possibly providing a boost to some alternative energy plays, according to your next guest. John Ajarian is co-founder of Market Rebellion, also a CNBC contributor. You'll see him often, often on the Halftime Report with Scott Wapner. John, thank you very much for being here. Let's bring some of that Halftime Report wisdom to our markets this morning. What exactly does that infrastructure bill mean for key parts of the market? Well, Dom, um, we're seeing a lot of uh, interest in uh, some of these alternative energy stocks, as you said. Uh, stocks like Plug Power and uh, Lithium America, uh, PLUG and LAC, both had really strong call activity uh, for the several days leading up to the uh, Senate passing the bill that you just spoke of. And I, I got to believe, Dom, that people are looking at Biden's infrastructure plan and then the subsequent uh, multi-trillion dollar plan that's going to be coming our way thinking that uh, alternative energies and getting people off of fossil fuels is going to drive interest into these stocks. Also, uh, a stock that doesn't have options on it, ABML. And in full disclosure, I'm long all three of these names. All right. So, so John, I, I mean, I remember during the financial crisis in the wake of the great financial crisis, the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act during the Obama administration. We know that that was kind of geared towards infrastructure. We kind of use that as a recent example of what we can see in terms of market impact on some of these, you know, materials type companies and infrastructure stocks. Is this in your mind, is this infrastructure bill going to be more impactful than what we saw in the wake of the great financial crisis? Hugely so, Dom. Um, again, we don't have the final passage of uh, either this uh, uh, $1 trillion, you know, $580 billion in fresh money along with the rest of the uh, money from COVID. We don't have the full details of that yet, um, nor the uh, bigger infrastructure bill that's coming our way. But we, you can kind of read through the tea leaves and see what they're uh, focused on. And clearly, um, you know, stocks like uh, Freeport, FTX, uh, FCX rather, and uh, Cliffs, CLF, have already been getting a big hockey stick to the upside. And the reason is pretty clear. This is not just a one-time spend. That's going to be spent over a decade. So if you think the Fed's hand under the market, Dom, um, is uh, supportive, you've got to think that a 10-year spend on infrastructure is likewise going to be a pretty strong hand to keep any downside uh, at bay. All right. So you've given us a lot of those picks. Uh, can we broaden out a little bit here, John? We have the monetary sure. stimulus you talked about, the fiscal stimulus you talked about. We've got a market at or near record highs right now. Should investors still mm -hmm. feel comfortable about being long in this market? Um, I think so, Dom. Um, we know that the Fed's going to be as accommodative as they can be. Um, and we know that, that Congress is going to continue to push a lot of money across the table. Uh, so uh, companies uh, have been growing earnings at a, at a dizzying pace. Um, I think that's going to slow down the growth, of course. Uh, but I don't think that we're going to see uh, either Congress or the Fed pull back 
any of this spending for quite a while. So if you're in the market, I think it's kind of a fool's errand not to be uh, taking advantage of it and staying in the market. I think getting sure. out, um, you're creating a taxable event in most cases. And right. I think then you're just kind of uh, chasing your own tail. All right. The case for being long the market. John Ajarian at Market Rebellion. Thank you very much. Have a good day. We'll see you in the halftime report. That does it for Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.